We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Now that we've had time to get to Ezra 1, before we start, kids, you got your worksheets, you're ready to put in there like some notes, some things that are happening. Here's like the first thing I think you should know as we're looking at Ezra and Nehemiah this morning. It's really important, okay? You need to know this, kids. God cares about your poo. I know I'm getting some looks from parents. I'll get some emails later. God cares about your poo. He does. It's in the Bible. It's there. Because he cares about every aspect of the whole world and of all of his creation and of you and I. And your poo matters. It's true. All right, let me back up, give you a little context. Why in the world am I talking about poo today, okay? So in Ezra and Nehemiah, we have this story that God's people, they were exiled. They were taken out of their home is what that means in Jerusalem. And they were sent into captivity into another land called Babylon. And they were slaves there. And they were told what to wear and how to act and who to worship even, right? And then years and years and years later, God actually comes and he, he sets his people free, much like he did years before that in the story of Exodus that we learned when they were enslaved in Egypt, right? God allows for them to leave there and to come back home, and he wants them to rebuild. He has them first rebuild the temple with the altar where they would worship God. Then he has them rebuild their community around God's laws and around God's ways because they've been learning how to live in Babylon's ways for so long. God wanted them to rebuild a community that lived according to his ways. And then he has them rebuild the walls around their city. And in that story of rebuilding the walls, one of the things that Nehemiah didn't really get very well was the wall wasn't just meant to fortify the city and keep people out because there were a lot of gates all over the walls. And what do gates do? They open up though, right? And so the gates, there were gates to open up and let people come into the city of God's people. There were also gates to open up and send things away from the city. And what's one thing you would want to send away from your city? Who? There was a gate in Nehemiah chapter 3 called the dung gate. Kids, do you know what dung means? You guessed it. This is your chance to say it in church as loud as you want with your parents here, then they can't get you in trouble because I told you to say it. What does dung mean? All right. All right. Now you got to stop. No more. We got it out of our system, right? So in Nehemiah 3, they're rebuilding the walls and they're fixing all these gates. There's like a fish gate where they would do things with the fish. There's a sheep gate where they would let the, the sheep go in and out. There was a dung gate. And this is where literally they would get rid of all that. They didn't have running toilets like we have today, right? And you know what's interesting? In verse 14, it says this. Melchiha, that's how you got to say it in Hebrew. You got get a little phlegm in there. Melchiha, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth-Hachrem, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and installed its doors, bolts, and bars. Why is that important? This man gets his name written in the Bible for repairing a gate where they got rid of their waste. Because it mattered to God. Because what it was doing was actually helping to see for the health and flourishing of God's community of people. 
before they had a city, when God's people were wandering in the wilderness after they just left Egypt, and they didn't have a city yet, God gave them very specific instructions with what to do with their poo. In Deuteronomy 23, he says, hey, if you're out there in the wilderness, I want you to take this with you. Now, if we had gone camping this year, if we still do, uh, we have these nice outhouses at the campsite we have, right? But have you ever gone what's called dry camping? You guys know what that is? You have no electricity, you have no running water, you have no toilets. So what do you do when you got to do your business? Connor? You dig a hole. Don't worry, this is not my dung shovel. It's only been used on clean dirt, I promise. But you take something like this with you, and you got to dig a hole, right? This is in the Bible, you guys. Deuteronomy 23, God says, take a shovel, go dig a hole, do your business, then cover it up. Why? What do you think happens if it's just out there exposed everywhere, it's not covered up, it's not put away somewhere? It's going to get smelly. There's going to be flies and all kinds of other things swarming around. People got very, very sick. Very sick. Do you think sickness was part of God's original plan? No, no, no. In the very beginning, when God created all things at creation, there was not supposed to be sickness or death, right? God's saying, hey, I haven't given up on you yet. Even though you rebelled against me, you brought sin into this world, and it started making the whole world decay and fall apart. People are getting sick. I'm going to show you ways to fight against that. I'm going to give you a way to protect one another. And this is just one small way where he does that, right? And so it was a shovel in the wilderness, but they had a gate on their city walls when they rebuilt the city. Here's why this is important. What we're looking at today, this morning, as we read in Ezra and a little bit in Nehemiah, we're reminded that God's plan involved very natural, mundane work from humans. This story reminds us that the plumber is just as holy as the pastor. That the work that this guy did in Nehemiah chapter 3 was good work, enough that he's mentioned in the Bible, even more so than some of the other people who were repairing the other gates. Like they said more about where he came from. Because it matters. Your work matters. And God uses the work of our hands to build something pretty incredible. So turn with me to Ezra 1. We're going to get started here. In Ezra chapter 1, this is how the story begins. And I'm just going to read the first six verses for us this morning. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia. So if you remember, we talked about they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. But then Persia came years later, and they overthrew Babylon. So Persia's in charge now. Persia's in control of Israel. But really, who's in control of Persia, guys? Kids, are you still with me? Who's in control? King Cyrus, he's the king of Persia. Who's in control even of King Cyrus, even if he doesn't know it? Yeah. King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord, spoken through Jeremiah, the Lord roused the spirit of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and put it in writing. And this is what it said, verse 2. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says, The Lord, the God of the heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, 
and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you, may his God be with him. And may he go to Jerusalem in Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Let every survivor, wherever he resides, be assisted by the men of that region with silver, gold, goods, and livestock, along with a freewill offering for the house of God in Jerusalem. Verse 5, so the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, along with the priests and Levites, everyone whose spirit God had roused, prepared to go up and rebuild the Lord's house in Jerusalem. All their neighbors supported them with silver, articles, gold, goods, livestock, and valuables, in addition to all that was given as a free will offering. This is God's word. Pray with me first before we continue. Father, I know uh, I was having fun with our words up here, but we pray, God, as we look at your word, most importantly, God, that we would see you. We would see you at work in your world. We would see your love for your people. We would see how great and mighty and glorious you are. We would see a God who wins, who has not given up on his creation, who rebuilds what has been broken, and who brings salvation to those who trust him. God, may we look to you and trust you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. What did we hear at the beginning? Why did, Cy- why did King Cyrus of Persia do what he did? Because the Lord roused his spirit, it says. What that means is, like, he, he stirred him up. He, he got him going. That God, the God of Israel, the God over all things, came to King Cyrus and kind of, like, whispered in his ear and said, here's what I want you to do. He stirred his heart. And then... When King Cyrus says, okay, you guys can go and you can rebuild the temple. You can rebuild your community. You can rebuild the walls around your city. What does it say? Who went with him? All of those whose spirit God had roused in verse 5. The Israelites too. Nobody in this story is doing anything on their own without God's spirit at work. That's the first thing we need to see. Nobody in this story is doing this in their own strength and being successful. We have stories all throughout the Bible and in our life too of people doing things in their own strength and it never goes well, even when it seems like it at first. But the only time it's successful, the only time it goes well is when God's spirit is doing the work. So King Cyrus lets them go back. He makes this decree that they can go back because of God. And then some of the Israelites, they go back because of God. God at work in their soul, in their spirit, stirring them to want to go do this work. And what did we hear? What kind of people went back? Sure, there were priests, right? But there were also all kinds of workers. There were singers. There were people who built things. And as we find out later in Nehemiah, people who repaired gates that you can send your bathroom stuff away out of. All kinds of people doing all kinds of work. And every single one of them, God stirred up their spirit to accomplish a greater work that he was doing. So what was the greater work that God was doing? 
What do you think God was wanting to do in rebuilding in Jerusalem? Like, why does Jerusalem matter? Why does this city matter, right? We got to remember the story. We got to back up and remember some of the rest of the story we've been learning all year long. Because Ezra Nehemiah is actually repeating some of what we've learned before. Let's see if this sounds familiar at all, okay? They were taken into captivity by another nation. They were forced to live there as slaves. They were forced to build things for them, for that nation. But then God shows up and says, hey, let my people go. Then this just told us that God stirred up the people living around them, the Persians and Babylonians, and said, hey, I want you to give them your gold and your silver so that when the Israelites left, they got all this stuff from the people who had them as as captives. They plundered them is what that's called. Does that sound familiar at all? Where have we heard that before? Egypt, right, good job. When they were in Egypt and they were enslaved there. And then God tells Moses to go tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. And he says, when they do, you're going to take all the gold and silver with you from your neighbors. And that's exactly what happened. Now, when they left Egypt, they were wandering in the wilderness for a bit. That's where we get the shovel story, right? But God promised them, you're not going to stay there forever. I'm going to give you a land. It's a good land. It's a land just abundant with all kinds of resources. The Bible says flowing with milk and honey. It's a good place for you to live. And I'm going to move you into that land. And guess where that land ended up being? The city of Jerusalem ends up being built in that land, right? So this is why God cares about this place. He's reviving this promise that he gave to his people. That even though his people lost that place, they lost their land because they continued to rebel against God time and time again. God is saying, I have not given up on my promise to you. I will continue to renew you and make you my people, and I will continue to be your God. This is how you live under a good king. Not the king of Egypt, not the king of Babylon, not the king of Persia, but a good king who is God. So God does three things throughout the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. We talked about this a little bit last week. First, he sends a wave of people to go back and rebuild the temple so they could worship. Then he sends a wave of people to go back and rebuild their community around God's laws. It's called the Torah. Then he sends a wave of people to go back and rebuild the walls and the gates, right? And when doing that, God employs the work of all kinds of people's hands. I remember sitting down with a friend one time. He was a part of our church community years ago. And he just said, man, I can't, I can't take it anymore. I can't do this job. I can't just keep logging in and taking customer service calls. And I said, I get it. I've been there. I've done that job. It's not fun, right? Uh, but why? Why can't you take it anymore? He said, because God is calling me to do something for him. I said, okay. What have you been doing for him in your job? No, no, you don't. God, I, I think I need to be like a pastor or a missionary or something that matters. Now listen, all kinds of people are called to do that stuff and it matters for sure. But what he was saying, what he was believing was that the work he had been doing didn't matter at all. It's okay to say this job isn't for me and maybe I, I don't need to stay at this job. That's fine. 
But to say, because this job doesn't matter, is a misunderstanding of what God has done in the world. The first story we get in the Bible is the story of creation, right? First three days, God creates a space for things to flourish, right? He creates order and space for things. In the next three days, he fills those things. He, he puts things there that are living. And then on the seventh day, he settles into it and he rests in it. But it doesn't end there, does it? What does he do then? He invites the humans to come join him in that work of caring for what he just made, of tending to it. Were they called to be preachers? Missionaries? You could say in a sense, yeah, but what was the actual work of their hands? They were tending to a garden. They were to extend the garden. That means go take care of the wild and waste outside of the garden and start making it look like the garden. They were getting their hands dirty in the soil. That was the thing that God called them to partner with him in. That was good work. This is before rebellion enters, before sin. This was good work. The work we do matters. I just want to read, a, I made a list of what I did the last, it was like two weeks ago. And the reason I made this list was I was like, what I'm doing here is really like not in my job description, right? Uh, it was during the time, remember we had like three weeks where we didn't gather in here. We had different things going on. We gathered with Northminster, then we gathered with Tempe, and then we had Memorial Day weekend where we didn't gather. And I was like, I haven't prepared a sermon in a while. That feels weird. So what have I been doing? Uh, here's what I did. I, I snaked a shower drain. I took apart an espresso machine to clean a valve and then reassembled it. I fixed a water cooler because it had frozen my water inside. It did too good of a job cooling it. And then it, I unfixed it after that, by the way. I repaired a drywall hole. I sealed cracks in our office. I fixed a coffee roaster. I exterminated pests. I troubleshooted and solved printer errors, computer issues, and Apple AirPlay problems. I fished a toothbrush out of a bathroom sink and then threw it away. I tended to a flood in my kitchen caused by our dishwasher overflowing. I plunged a toilet. And that's just like the stuff I did outside of my regular work schedule. Sounds like not very fun things, right? Sounds like boring, mundane things. Sounds like things that like, man, I can't wait till that's done away with and we can just like chill in eternity with Jesus and not do those things. And yes, that's true. Uh, but it was all good work. It was all work that was contributing to creating order where there was chaos, to bringing restoration to what had been broken. Whether I'm roasting coffee or standing up here running my mouth, like I get to do both of those things, all things for the glory of God. The work that you do throughout the week, the stuff that you do, kids, with school or in your home to help out with your parents, everything we do, the work of our hands is worship to God. That's how God created at the very beginning in the garden. The work of our hands shows what God's like. When he reached down and he got his own hands dirty in the soil and formed the first man. So the work you do, I mean, I know at times it gets hard, it gets difficult, 
And maybe you do need a different job, right? I'm not saying you can't ever go find another job. But what if we started looking through our work through another lens? This is a way that we create order where there is chaos, that we bring restoration to what was broken, that we show a God who cares about his physical world, his creation. That's what we're invited into in partnership with God. I remember sitting down with a young missionary friend of mine who was just saying, there's just, I, I can't end up being like my dad. Like, I just can't do that. I got to go do something that matters. And so he was getting ready to go off to some far country across the globe to be a missionary. And thank God for that. That's such good work. But he was also talking down about the everyday physical labor of his father, which was affording him to go on that trip in the first place. And I said, do you realize what you're saying here? You're talking about all all these men in your life who are doing these nine-to-five jobs and you feel like they're wasting their life away and yet they're funding you going overseas. Like this, this vision we have of what's spiritual and good work for the Lord and what's everyday work. You just gotta do it to get food on the table. That's wrong. We gotta bring those things together because feeding people That's the work of the Lord. Providing for one another, that's the work of the Lord. Creating order where there was chaos, that's the work of the Lord. Bringing restoration to what had been broken, that is the work of the Lord. Customer service, I mean, it's got the word in it, service, right? We get to show what Jesus is like as we serve people, even when we get yelled at in return. Because ultimately, the best picture we have of all this is when Jesus himself comes. And he gets, he steps down into the dirty, messy, broken world. You know the funny thing about Deuteronomy 23, I didn't tell you, when God says, hey, make sure you cover up your poo. He says, it's because I'm walking through your camp to watch over you. I'm in your midst. And I don't want to see that. Uh, One translation literally says, I don't want to step on that. This is God walking in our midst. Jesus comes one day in the flesh into a dirty, broken world, and he takes on the form of humanity so much so, you better believe he was walking in our mess. He was stepping in it. This is why that culture had a a rhythm of washing each other's feet when they got inside. Because they didn't have roads like us. They had animals everywhere, and guess what was on the street? Jesus walks in it. He serves us with humility, laying down his own life. But you know what he says? Knowing that he's about to go to a murderous, torturous death, that he will have his body destroyed, he says, you can destroy this temple, but in three days it will rise again. The same work that we find in Ezra and Nehemiah, God using the everyday work of humans to do his bigger work of rebuilding a temple, rebuilding a community around his ways, and rebuilding a city for them to dwell in. God does this through Jesus. He raises the temple of Jesus' body. He rebuilds the temple then by giving his spirit to those who would trust in him. And scripture calls us living stones. That means he is building 
a temple, a house for God to dwell in with you and I, with his people. God goes through the same movement again, those same three movements, rebuilding his temple. This time it's his people. It's not just a a building with brick and mortar. His people are his temple being rebuilt. His spirit at work in us is rebuilding a community around God's ways that we are learning more and more every single day what it looks like to follow Jesus. And one day he will rebuild fully a city for us to dwell in with him. That as Deuteronomy 23 said, I am walking in your midst. I am your God, you are my people, and he will dwell with us there forever. And in Revelation 21, we get a picture of that. This new city, this new Jerusalem, it's heaven coming down to earth, meeting it, and God dwelling here with us. And guess what? It describes a wall, a city wall with lots of gates. This time there's no dung gate. There are a lot of gates that open up because all of the nations are invited in. All people who would put their trust in Jesus get to be rebuilt into this temple, this holy dwelling place where God is in our midst. If that's not good news, I don't know what is. That's the story we have to share with people around us. That's the thing that like when, like Lacey was saying, when we let people know we're Christians, this is what we're letting them know we believe. This is the true story of the world. That because of Jesus, we get to be part of God's dwelling place but we're to be like those gates and open up a way for other people to come in and be part of it with us. So now God wants to do that rebuilding through the everyday work of your hands. That as you go out and you do your job, whether it's in a home or a workplace, as you leave from here and you do the work God has called you to do, or maybe you just feel like it's the work I found myself in for now. Guess what? God has you there for a reason. It's, it's not just happenstance. He knows what he's doing. As you go out and you do that everyday work in your home, in your office, on the field, wherever it is, that you do all things to the glory of God so that through the everyday work of your hands, like this man who repaired a gate, you get to show the story of God and people would be invited in to dwell with him. So that's the question I want to leave us with this morning leave this place. How will the work of your hands, or maybe you don't use your hands, maybe uh, your job is more intellectual up here, maybe it's through a phone and you're speaking, how will your everyday work show and tell the story of God and invite people into it? Let's pray.